Good evening. I got a response this time, kind of. Um, we are here again tonight. Um, I love that that clock is four minutes fast. That means I can go over and not feel bad about it. Um, I'll try and not go over like we did last week, though. Um, but before we begin, um, as always, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this day. We thank you for all the many gifts that you have bestowed upon us today and every day of our lives. We give you thanks for our community of faith um, here at Elk City and in Sayre, where we can come freely to profess our faith, to practice our faith, and to grow in our faith. We pray for all of our students um, and teachers this evening as they seek to grow in the faith, and for us here as we seek to understand more what it means to be a person of faith. We pray that you may bless us and protect us. We ask all these things in your Son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So these last few weeks, we've been talking about the virtues, uh, very much focusing this last week and this week on the theological virtue of faith. Uh, one of the great blessings that I've gotten as a priest, but also as a military brat, was the idea and the ability to travel. Um, and in traveling, you get to see faith professed in different languages, in different countries, in different cultures, and you get to see the beauty of it. I was just talking with some of our um, guys that are helping the Meisners out, some, one from Switzerland and two from Germany, and telling them about my stories about going to Germany and, and seeing how in different parts of the country the faith is professed. I remember um, my deacon year, we did a four-week pilgrimage, a week in England, a week in France, a week in Italy, and then a week on retreat in Einsiedeln in Switzerland, which is a Benedict monastery. And at each place that we went to on that trip... We had Mass, of course, because, well, it's a pilgrimage, but we had Mass as our group, but we also attended Mass in the local custom, in the local language. So we had Mass in Latin, we had Mass in Italian, we had Mass in French, we had Mass in German, because we were on the, Swiss, the German side of Switzerland. Um, so it was beautiful just kind of being able to hear the different languages, but at the same time celebrate the same Mass that we all know. And no matter what language you speak, if you go to Mass... If it's the Novus Ordo, the new rite, you know what's going on. You know that if the priest goes like this, he's saying in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, even if he's saying in the name of the Padre, the Holy Spirit, the Santo, or Vater, Son, Heiligen Geist, yeah, so close. Um, no matter what language it is, you know what's going on. And what the beauty of our faith is, is that it can be professed in many different ways, in many different languages and many different cultures. And throughout the last 2,000 years of the Christian faith, the people that follow the way, we have adapted, we have modulated based on our needs, based on our society, based on what people in the world need. In fact, traditionally, the monks would pray every single day all 150 psalms. Did you know that? 
all of the book of Psalms, there's 150 of them, traditionally they would pray them every single day. And so the lay people that were illiterate, that couldn't read, would walk by and say, wow, I want some of that. I want to be able to pray that, but I can't learn, I can't read, I can't memorize. What can we do? Do you know that that's part of the history of how we got the rosary as we have it today? Is from the original praying of the 150 Psalms? Because what the priests and the monks would say was, instead of praying one of the Psalms, because it may be too hard to remember, pray one Hail Mary for each one of the Psalms. And break it up because we have small attention spans, even back in those days. We have very short attention spans. So break it up into a decade. And how long is a decade? But 10 years, right? So we do it every 10 years, right? No, a decade is, is a counting of 10. So break it into 10s. And so if you pray the full rosary, it's not five decades, but it's how many? Trick question. Now it's 20. Back then it was 15. So before Pope St. John Paul II gave us the luminous mysteries, you would pray 15 decades, which 15 times 10 is? Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 150. So we have 150 Hail Marys that you would pray. Now, again, that's kind of a trick question because you pray the three at the beginning, one for faith, one for hope, one for love. But you'd pray those, and then you would meditate on one of the different mysteries of Christ's life. So you'd bring in some scripture, you'd bring in this intercessory prayer of Mary, you'd have on the tail end the perfect prayer, the Our Father that we all just prayed, and on the end, a glory be, because everything we do is because we give glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we say glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. And then in the early 1900s, we added what's called the Fatima Prayer, forgive us, oh my, thank you, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins and save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most in need of thy mercy, that was added after St. Faustina was given that with the divine mercy prayers, and was given the divine mercy image of Jesus. So it's through faith has grown based on what's been going on throughout different places in the world, because people yearned and longed to understand but also, in that illiterate society, when they couldn't read and couldn't understand what was going on, they had some of the most beautiful art you have ever seen. We have some beautiful Stations of the Cross. I love our Stations of the Cross. These are some of the most amazing stations that I've seen. We've got a beautiful resurrected Christ coming out of the tomb. At first, some of the kids are like, why is Jesus wearing a bath towel? He's not wearing a bath towel. That was the funeral shroud. It was his tunic. But we have art to tell us a story. And it was originally in those original art pieces that they would have in the Middle Ages and before then that would help tell the story of Jesus, tell the story of why Jesus matters, where all of this comes from. And so our faith has progressed from this conversation between God and humanity through the prophets, through the fathers of the church. We all always hear about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? And why do we hear about them? Because they were the fathers of faith. But even passing from them through the prophets into the prophet who was the last of the prophets. Do you guys know who the last of the prophets was? 
John the Baptist. The voice that cried out in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. He was the last of the prophetic line. Now, there have been people that have come since then that have told us some pretty awesome things that have become true, but he was the last of the scriptural, biblical prophets. And so, as we move out of the prophets into the time of Christ, we're then adapting, not really adapting, but having reforged for us, remade for us, our understanding of who God is. And why is that important when we talk about the virtue of faith? Because at the core of the virtue of faith is a relationship. A relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you remember back, for those of you that came to the classes last year, or if you've gone back and watched some of the classes from last year, there's a reason that I started the way that I did. We didn't talk about the sacraments. We didn't talk about the Ten Commandments. We didn't talk about the liturgical calendar. You get all of those as a kid normally in that order. What did we talk about at the beginning? Who is God? What is sin? Why do we need a Savior? Breaking apart the understanding of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because for most of us as Catholics, that's something that we never got growing up. We were given the memorize this. In fact, from 1917 to 1983, that was called the Baltimore Catechism. Question one, answer one. Question two, answer two. There was no grayness in there. And then we got the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which mine's not here for some reason. We got the Catechism of the Catholic Church from 1983 that goes and gives us so much more of what's called the deposit of faith, Like when you go to the bank and you make a deposit, you put more in. This is what we have come to understand in the last 2,000 years as followers of Christ. So one of the great things that the church has given to us is that text to be able to go through and read. Has anybody ever read the Encyclopedia Britannica? Or read like through all the pages of Wikipedia? Does anybody enjoy that type of reading? Anybody? Bueller? Nobody? Nobody? Me either. And that's part of the struggle with having the catechism is that it's somewhat set up that way and that it's got specific paragraphs, specific numbers. Now, it does have a purpose and that it teaches everything that's in the Catholic faith that we understand as true, it's in there. The problem is it's like reading soup. It is really, really hard to get through. It's not like reading through a book. If you think reading sacred scripture is hard, try and read a chapter of the catechism without falling asleep. It's very, very difficult. But one of the great things the church has given us is different ways of accessing some of these gifts the church has given to us. In fact, two years ago, there was a podcast that was started by Father Mike Schmitz. Some of you guys have heard of it, the Bible in a Year timeline. And every day, for 365 days, if you start at day one and go to day 365, you will read or listen to the totality of Scripture. Kind of cool, right? I don't know about you, but growing up I thought, man, how cool would it be if I could actually read the whole Bible? Now, the reality is, as a priest, when I celebrate Mass, I'm reading the Bible. In fact, the three-year cycle of A, B, and C that we have on the weekends, and the two-year cycle of the weekday masses, year one and year two, were very creative. We did A, B, C, one, two. But 
in those five cycles, you end up getting about 86% of what is in here. The rest of it is filled in when we pray what's called the Liturgy of the Hours, which are different times of the day, morning prayer, daytime prayer, office of readings, evening prayer, and night prayer, five different times where we as clergy are called to stop what we're doing and pray. But do you know what prayers we pray? Remember those prayers the monks were praying, those 150 psalms? It's been broken up into a four-week cycle. So every four weeks, we end up praying the majority of the 150 psalms. But also adding in some extra scripture. With the office of reading, which is my favorite, but by far the most tedious of the hours of the day, we do the three psalms, and then we read a chunk of scripture and then, if you think it is bad listening to Father preach, we read a homily. Or we read something by one of the doctors of the church or one of the martyrs of the church to help edify us and help us understand the tradition of faith. If you ever want to try and grow in faith, pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And what's beautiful about it is, though Deacon and I are mandated, we must pray the Liturgy of the Hours. It is outside of the Mass, the liturgy of the church, that anyone can pray it. So much so that there's an app on your phone you can download because the four-volume set is called the Breviary. It's not spelled how you think it is. It's spelled Breviary. But there's an app on your phone called, again, we got really adventurous with this name, iBreviary, like iPad, iPhone, I, Breviary, is the app. And you can go on there and you can pray all the different liturgy of the hours. You can also, this is where I cheat sometimes, go on there and figure out what the feast day is for the day. So today is the feast of, anybody know? I don't think any of you, you were at Mass this morning. That was it. It's the feast of St. John Lateran, the Basilica Church of the church, the, the church that is the foundational church on which our faith continue to grow. And not only can you read that, you can read the mass readings for the day. Many of our parishioners get the Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread books that we have. We have them at the back of the church at the beginning of every month. If you come to daily mass, they're in the different uh, chairs that are there. You can read through the different daily mass readings, but also there's some prayers to read throughout the day too. Now, there are more ways for us to pray but also more ways for us to learn about what it is we are praying to, who it is we're praying to, and what it is we're called to pray for and about. In fact, that's one of the big misnomers when it comes to the faith. How do I grow in my faith? Well, how do you grow in any relationship? You've got to spend time. You have to have communication. Those are the basics of growing in faith, just like the basics of growing in a relationship with your spouse, relationship of growing in a relationship with your, with your kids, with your parents. You spend time, you have conversation. That's how you grow. And it's the same way when it comes to God. As I, as I preached about this last weekend at Mass, one of the most beautiful things we can do as a spouse— as a husband, as a wife, as a priest, as the, as the parishioners, is to dedicate everything that we are for the betterment of our spouse, to invite 
into our lives, into every nook and cranny of our lives, our spouses. But do you know who the ultimate spouse is? Jesus Christ. That He is the bridegroom. We, as the church, are His bride. And as bride to bridegroom, we are called to invite Christ into every part of our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly, the the things that we are ashamed to bring anyone into, the Lord witnesses, but even more than that, He wants to be present with us in those moments. When we feel less than, when we feel like there's nowhere to go, what does Christ always tell us? You will never be alone. In fact, one of the last things he did before he ascended to the Father was he promised an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be our what? Advocate and guide. There's another word for that that we pray every time and say every time that we come for Eucharistic adoration. We call the Holy Spirit a very specific name. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the advocate and guide. That when you're lost in the woods, or if you go somewhere and forget to bring your GPS nowadays, and you're like, I don't know where I am. What do I do now? What do you do? You push a button and say, hey, Siri, or whatever, and you put in the address, right? And from there, sorry, my Siri's actually responding. (laughs) Awesome. But you say, hey, that person's name, and that's the response. She listens, he listens, and helps you get out of the mess that you're in. Helps you find where it is you're looking to go. And so as people of faith, we then are called and meant to call upon God in the same way. When we're struggling, when our spouse is driving us bat crap crazy, when we are driving them up the wall, When our kids push every single button there is to push, and all you want to do is push back, go to the Lord. In fact, one of the biggest blessings I have that I've been able to have here and at my last parish is I have a dedicated prayer space in my house. And at the last place I was at, I had to build one because I had to kind of clean out the rectory to even move into it. And... I put, in, I put in an annealer. Do you guys know what the official name for annealer is? We went over this last year. It's called a pray-do, which when you take that word apart and, and, you, and you break it apart and hear what it says in English, not what it actually says when you say the word pray-do, but translated pray-do means kneeler. But when you break it apart in English, pray, do it, pray-do. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to do prayer. But when we have that dedicated place in our house, in our job, in our car, that we can escape the reality of the world and the craziness of the world to be with God, how beautiful is that? Because the struggle is most of us don't have that dedicated space that we escape to. We have dedicated things instead that we escape to. Most of those things are called vices and sins. That's where addiction comes in for many of us. That's where we escape to the bar. 
We escape to playing video games. We escape to the internet. We escape to pornography. We escape to a brothel. We escape to fill in the blank. Because we don't want to be where we are and want to go a place where we can either feel safe or get what we think we're longing for. The irony of that situation is the only person that can give us what it is we're really yearning for is God. And so by dedicating a place in our homes, whether it be putting an altar, putting a Bible there, many families have a family Bible. If you don't have one, get a family Bible. One of the most beautiful things you can do for your children is get a family Bible that you guys can read as a family. And then when you die, I'm not getting morbid, don't worry, but when you die, they will not only look for it, they will want to have the family Bible. I remember when my grandma died last summer, that was the one thing that one of my aunts wanted was the family Bible. Because it wasn't that they read it all the time, but it had been not only her mom's Bible, but her grandmother's Bible and her grandmother's Bible. It becomes this family heirloom of faith. In fact, for some reason, I as the priest in the family got the majority of the religious books from my family. It was very common prior to 1962 to have what's called a daily Roman Missal. has nothing to do with bombs, I promise you. Missal, M-I-S-S-A-L. Just like the give us this day our daily bread, it was the mass. And you would follow along in what's called the vernacular, your native tongue. And what's beautiful is I have my grandmother's, my grandfather's, my great-grandmother's, and my great-grandfather's daily Roman missiles. I can see the history of the church throughout the last 100 years by looking in these. Some of them are just in Latin. And then I got to see the ones that were made in 1965 right after Second Vatican Council where it had the new translation of the vernacular, Latin on one side and English on the other. What's interesting is it changed again sometime in the late 60s, early 70s to what most of us grew up with. So when the priest would say, the Lord be with you, you'd say, and also with you, right? Not originally after the council. Originally after the council, it would say, and with your spirit. So why did the new translation that came out in 2008 revert back? Because if I were to say, El Señor esté con ustedes, what would you say in response? Y con tu espíritu, and with your spirit. Not et, et, and even in Latin, the response would be, et cum spiritu tuo, and with your spirit. I have no clue what it would be in German, lo siento, which means sorry in Spanish. <laughs> but the beauty is, no matter what language we're having, no matter what translation we have in front of us, the truth remains. And the truth is, God loves you. And the more we can seek to understand that and truly believe that, the easier it is for us to embrace our faith. The easier it is for us to truly live our faith. In fact, in the chapter on faith, um, in the book that we've been going through, it even says the most important thing 
that his pastor could do growing up to teach him the faith was to be authentically himself. Not to put on a mask, but to love and love what it was he was called to. That's why I don't feel bad. I do feel bad sometimes. I am a weird priest. I understand that. I am wacky at times. In fact, I was talking with Dax on TikTok on Friday night because I was on there and I found that you can sell sports cards on there and I'm a big sports card collector. And so I'm on there and I see this Dax Wilson and it's like, hi, Father Danny. It's like, I didn't have a clue who he was. This is Dax from church. Oh, crap. One of my teenagers just found me on social media. And so as I'm trying to show people my sports card collection, Dax comes on and I text Mandy afterwards and I say, hey, Mandy, I just want to let you know Dax came into my TikTok room. We were talking. She's like, um, yeah, he uh, asked how to spell the word homily. What did he say? It's like, don't worry. He said, I enjoy your homilies. It's like, oh, that broke my heart. Because I can't tell you how many people get mad that, Father, you preached for 20 minutes this Sunday. Did you pay attention? No. The next week it's 25. And one of the hardest things for me to do on Wednesdays is keep it to an hour. Because there's so much that we can talk about when it comes to us understanding the faith. But there's also so many ways that we can encounter it. So many ways that we can live it out. It's so easy for us in the 21st century to learn about things, but at the same time, it seems like it's so hard for us to truly preach. This last summer, I got into a couple snafus on social media again. I'm very active on Facebook, Instagram, now TikTok, Twitter. I go on there because there is such a small presence of truth in any social media. And nobody wants to speak the truth because they're afraid that they're going to poke the bear and the bear is going to poke back. Well, I've had the bear poke back a few times this last summer where I stood up and said, here is what we as Catholics believe. 137 comments later, 200 and 300 different likes and angry faces later and shares later. I'm like, oh, crap, what did I do? But then I find faith. Where some of my brother priests will actually text me or call me and say, hey, Danny, I saw your post. Thank you for having the courage to speak the truth. I'm glad that you're able to do it because I struggle with that. It gives me all the validation I need. Because it is hard to speak the truth today. I'm telling you, one of the hardest things we can do as Christians, as Catholics, is preach the faith. Because the world that we live in does not profess the faith that they say they profess. In fact, the majority of non-Catholic Christian denominations profess the same creed that we do, which is the core beliefs that we have. And we live in a Christian America where I believe it's 63% self-identify as Christian of some sect or denomination. Did any of you guys see that in the last week leading up to the election? Wasn't a lot of it. Instead, we're divided. Us versus them. Which is why on this feast day of St. John Lateran, the church cathedral, the Pope's church, 
we're reminded what Christ tells us about setting a firm foundation. Don't build on sand. Don't build on rocky soil. Why? If you don't have a firm foundation, you're going to crack. In fact, I told this, so David, you've heard this story, but there's this old story about the Library of Alexandria, one of the most large collections in history of literature, that when the architect built it, he took everything into consideration except for one important thing. He knew he could use a certain tile because that would be fine, it was settled, but it'd be no issues. He could use a certain ceiling because it wouldn't weigh too much. He forgot to take into consideration what was on the inside of a library. Books. Books are heavy. And when you have a structure and you don't, as the architect, take into consideration the weight of the books, it's going to sink. But how many times do we in life not worry about what's on the inside, but focus just on what's the outside? We see the cracks. We see how it's not perfect. In fact, one of the first things that was ever pointed out to me when I came here to visit for Father... um, that Father Philip, for Father Philip's memorial mass, I walked in the church and was, before it had even been announced that I was coming, I was like, announced that day, by the way, here's your new pastor. Thanks, Archbishop. But I was coming in, and this crack right here was pointed out to me. And I said, Father, our church is barely 20 years old, and we've already got cracks in the foundation. I said, you know what? Our church is about 100 years old, and there's been cracks from the beginning. Because the structure that we live in is not the church. It is the facade. It is what people see on the outside. But what's inside is firm. The Eucharist in that tabernacle never has fractures in it. But in our hearts, in our lives, on our facade, what do we do? We put on masks. We aren't authentic. We instead put on the face that we want people to see. I gave up on that a long time ago. You get what you get. (laughs) And when the author of this book was talking about the authenticity of his priest, he could see the love of God because he could see how much this priest cared about his ministry. Not his job, but his ministry. That's my goal as a pastor, is that if nothing else is written on my headstone, I wanted to say we knew we were loved by Father. Because in our world today, it is so hard for us to be divided, so easy for us to be divided, so hard for us to be united. In fact, you get any two people in the same room, you've got at least three opinions. I don't know how that works, but it does. And so you get a church together from different countries, different language, different ethnicities, different cultures, different age groups, different values. I was talking with one of our teachers before class. She said, man, I was struggling with my kids today. I said, yeah, I got 400 of them. Tell me about it. That I love each and every one of you guys. Sometimes you drive me up the wall. But I still love you guys. And it's not because of anything that you've done. 
It's just because you exist. And when we come to that reality, we can then begin to start our investigation into what it means to be a person of faith. Because the struggle is we define many people around us, most of us do at least, by what they do. He's a carpenter. She's a lawyer. He's a doctor. She's a teacher. He's a janitor. He's a police officer. He's a deacon. He's a priest. If our first identifier is not child of God, we're missing the mark. And that's not to just say, ha ha, I'm going to go around and trick father and I'm going to say, hi, my name is Nick Lenius and I'm a child of God. Well, good. I want you to start there, yes. But I don't want you to say it. I want you to live it. I want you to live it so much so that even if you can't see the love of God reflected in you, everyone you come into contact with says, huh, there's something about this person. I want some of that. Remember those early Christians that walked by the church? They heard and they said, huh, I want some of that. That is how the faith continues 2,000 years later. It's through people practicing authentically their faith. In fact, when Yuvia, when you emailed me five or six weeks ago and said, hey, the adult classes, is it just for adults? I said, well, yeah. Well, can I bring my son? Yes, please. Why? Because he will learn more from you bringing him here than he will ever learn coming to any class. That's not putting down any of our catechists because we have some amazing catechists. And he's not going to learn anything from me by him being here. What he's going to learn is mom showed up. What they're going to learn is my parents don't just drop me off. They want to participate too. They want to learn. They want to grow. Not for me, but for them. Your kids, even if they hate you, want to be just like you. And the best, sorry, the best lesson you can teach them is by action, showing up. Even if you just come here and fall asleep, they won't know it. They'll just know that you came and Father talked to you for an hour. If you fall asleep, I'll know it. I recognize it every Sunday at Mass. It's like, all right, yeah, I guess it has been a little long, but come on, I got three minutes into it. I'm only three minutes into the homily. It's a long night, Father. I was up till 2 a.m. and up at 6. Give me another excuse. But nonetheless, I digress. Faith can't be something we do. It has to be who we are. It's not a subject for us to tackle. It's a way of life for us to live. That you know when you see a person of faith who they are. What are their identifying characteristics? Most of them, they're too happy. In fact, I had a catechist growing up that I did nothing but complain about her. Love her to death. Kathleen, if you're watching, I love you. But she was the most happy, pious person I had ever met all I wanted to do is punch her in the face as a kid. Like, you can't really be that holy, can you? Can you really just 
take all of those things and say, you know what, God has a plan, he has a will, and it may not go as you want it to, Danny, but but everything's going to make itself out. You know what, no, it's not. She knew better, because it does. It always does. And we have people like that in our lives, and they're there not to just rub us and grate us, but they're also there to rub us and grate us. How do you smooth a marble? You don't just say, marble, be smooth. No, you have to rub off the edges. My grandpa was a carpenter, and any time that I get a sliver, he'd be like, come here, let me see that piece of wood. He wouldn't say, let me see your hand. He'd say, let me see that piece of wood, because there's some surface on it that isn't smooth. How do you smooth out the surface? You take a coarse rock, and you rub it with a lot of friction, so we have a lot of friction in our lives, and over time, it is smoothed out. In fact, one of the only references to purgatory in Scripture we find in the book of Maccabees, and it's that very same notion, a cleansing fire that some of us will endure before we reach the kingdom of God. That's not the words specifically on there, but that's the ideal behind it. And so if, by God's grace, we make it to purgatory, it's going to be a time of purgative fire. Now, for some of us, we're like, ooh, fire, fire is bad, fire is bad. Yes, you're going to burn yourself when you touch fire. It's going to happen. It's going to hurt. But if you've ever seen how, um, not stonemasons, not metallurgists, what's the word looking for, um, that make hammers and make metal workers, what are they called? Forgers. Something like that. People that work with forges, how do they smooth out the metal? They burn it in fire. And they pound out the edges. And they burn it in fire. And they pound out the edges. And they burn it in fire. So purgatory is going to be. Now it may not be a physical fire, but it is going to be a purgative fire that helps us purge from us anything but the love of God. And so when we talk about love in a couple weeks, because that's one of the next virtues we're getting to, tonight's faith, next week we're talking about hope, and probably for a couple weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, next week's our last class before Thanksgiving week. Can you believe that already? We're that close to Thanksgiving. We're two weeks away. Way too close. But when we come back, I guess, then we come back in January, we talk about love. Hopefully we get to the cardinal virtues at some point this year. But we begin to see that all of these virtues come back to the same teachings from Christ. Love God, love neighbor. I preach about it all the time for that reason. You want to be more patient? Love God, love neighbor. You want to be more humble? Love God, love neighbor. You want to be a more faithful person? Spend time with God, love God, love neighbor. (laughs) It all comes back to those ideas. Because that's how we grow as people. We hear that phrase in society, practice makes perfect, right? Well, in the Catholic faith, practice makes purgatory. Our goal is heaven. If we miss heaven, by the grace of God, we pray that we end up in purgatory. Because if you make it to purgatory, you will eventually make it to heaven. We know that much. If you don't make it to purgatory... 
We did not live life how God called us to live our lives. And that's our choice. As we talked about last year when we talked about the sacrament of reconciliation, there's only one sin that's unforgivable. Does anybody remember what it was? See, I know I've got a deacon over here for a reason. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Believing that God does not have the power to forgive me, therefore I don't ask for forgiveness. So let that sink in for a second. So why is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the only unforgivable sin? Because God gives us free will. God will never force anything upon us, even his love, his mercy, his compassion, and his forgiveness. He will never force you to ask for forgiveness. Remember on Sunday, when for those that came to Mass on Sunday, because I didn't preach this on Saturday, because I didn't have this on Saturday, I woke up Sunday morning, and the first thought in my mind was, I need to pray for Satan that his heart may change, knowing that angels, by definition, based on our understanding, do not, cannot change. Their yes has been yes, their no has been no, cannot change. It's our understanding of angelology, the study of angels. But man, if only Satan would ask for God's forgiveness humanity would be freed from sin. Now, we still have sin because we still have free will to choose it. But the spiritual battle and war that's going on that we don't see would pretty much cease to exist. Our guardian angels would be bored off their rockers instead of trying to hold on to a freight train that is our lives. But then it's the same question for each and every one of us. What keeps me from asking God for his forgiveness? I put a post up on our social media this last week. I think it was yesterday or the day before. A friend, priest, had um, taken this photo um, of a man in confession and a quote from Monsignor John Essef, who I actually got to have a retreat from in, in seminary. He was um, an exorcist. Um, he was a confessor for... Mother Teresa and Padre Pio at one point. It's like, oh my gosh, you're the holiest person I've ever met. Crazy. One of the most humble people I've ever met as well. And he said, Satan hates the sacrament of reconciliation. Satan's biggest tool against it is fear. He wants you to be afraid of your sins. So much so that you can't talk to anybody about them. Even God who witnesses them, he doesn't want you to go to God and say, God, forgive me a sinner. He wants you to be steeped so deep in your sin that your sin becomes quicksand that suffocates you that you can never come out from. What did Pope St. John Paul II remind us in his inaugural speech and all the way throughout his ministry as Pope. Be not afraid. In fact, many preachers will say, did you know it says 365 times in scriptures, be not afraid. It doesn't. But it's nice to think of, because that's one 
quoting scripture for every day of the year. It's not true, but it's a nice sentiment. God doesn't want you to be afraid. No tienes miedo. Porque miedo es un mentira del diablo. <laughs> Got our Spanish days back there. Like, yes, probably got some Spanish in there. Like, yes. <laughs> but fear is a lie from Satan. It is. One of the best parts of my life as a priest, I say this and people are like, that's weird, Father. One of my favorite parts of being a priest outside of celebrating the Mass is being in the confessional. Because I get the honor of letting people know that despite them seeing the biggest pile of crap they could ever see staring back at them in the mirror of their sins, that God still loves them. That's what the Sacrament of Reconciliation is about. I talk a lot about how I hate calling it confession because it has such a negative connotation even to the word. I confess and tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. It's sent to the principal's office, it's sent to the penalty box. We even have a penalty box. You have to go into the box to do it. That's why sometimes I'd be like, hey, you want to go to confession? Yeah, but, you, but there's no confessional. That's fine, let's go walk over here in the corner. I've been out with young adults before at a pub. Hey, Father, can I go to confession? Sure, as I'm carrying my pint of beer, placing it down, and Father, forgive me for I have sinned. They're like, are you drinking during my confessional? It's like, I have a parched throat. Sorry. I'm trying not, that, that, that's the occasion to the rule, not the rule. Because it's not about my mental, it's about theirs in that moment. My role there is to let you know that God loves you. That's it. I don't care what your sins are. That is not giving permission for you to sin. I don't care what your sins are. I want you to know God loves you. Nothing you say to me is going to faze me, unfortunately and fortunately. Because I guarantee the worst thing you have ever done, I've heard at least 30 times. So A... You're not alone in your sin. That's not a good thing. Let me throw that out there first. It's not a good thing that we have communal sin. But B, you're not alone in your need for forgiveness. There's a reason that I, as priest, not only need to, but must go to confession more frequently on this side of ordination than before I was ordained. Because if Satan can get a hold of me, you go after the, sh the shepherd, the sheep will follow. How many times have we seen that in the church over the last 2,000 years? You get a corrupt priest, you get a corrupt bishop, you get a corrupt pope that can lead sheep astray. That's the most powerful tool that Satan can use. So I have to remind myself, Danny, you suck. Danny, you suck. Danny, you suck. Not in a negative way, but in a way to keep myself humble, that I don't know everything, that I need to continue to grow in my own faith, that I need to continue to struggle to understand my own relationship with God and his love for me. 
in the midst of my sins, in the midst of my successes, that everything that I have that is good in this life is because of God. And everything that I have in this life that isn't good has been allowed by God. Not mandated by, not forced on me by, but allowed by God because he loves me. God loves me so much, God loves you so much that he will allow you for eternity to say no. Like your two-year-old does for a long time. No, no. The only word that comes out of their mouth at the age of two is no, right? It's no. But then as they learn relationship, every once in a while they begin to say yes. And then they hit the most terrifying age of all, Oh my goodness, I become my parents. We've all done it. I know we have. But how awesome would it be if that's how it worked in the faith as well? We say no to God. We say no to God. We say no to God. Sometimes we begin to say yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. But still no every once in a while. We still sin. We still struggle. But then eventually we realize, oh my goodness, I became like my father in heaven. When we begin to preach the word without even thinking about it, I rarely go to this to talk because God has put it here and God has put it here in my life. I still need this, though, to remind myself that this and this still have a long way to go. My first year and a half as a priest, I had a script for every single homily. I, I, I couldn't come away from it. Some of you guys have seen the unfortunate negative fruits of that, that sometimes I have a 25-minute homily with seven different squirrel holes that I've gone down. It happens. But also I've seen for myself, I learn more from myself preaching than I learn from a lot of other homilies I go and listen to. Because many times... I'm not preaching to you. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. Because <laughs> I know i got to grow. I, I, I know I am in need of God's mercy. So much so that I'm very tempted to do something in January that I don't want to do, that I did three years ago. There's the most miserable 90 days of my life. There's a program called Exodus 90. Some, some people may have heard of it. It's 90 days of basically the most intense Lent you could ever think of. <clears throat> no sugary beverages, no carbonated beverages, no alcohol. You drink water, 90 days. No TV, no internet, no electronics outside of work that you have to use. No music unless it is uplifting and praiseworthy. You have to work out. Oh. If that wasn't bad enough, no snacks between meals. Fasting every Wednesday and Friday. Cold showers. Every day. 90 days. And you follow the book of Exodus from beginning to end reading different excerpts as you go, 
having reflections, and a small group that you meet with every week to go over these reflections for 90 days. Did it back in 2019, the, the best thing I never wanted to do ever again because it was miserable. Those cold showers became frigid real quick. And then it's like, well, now, now, now how do we define the term cold shower? Is it like uncomfortable or does it have to be like going and taking a polar bear plunge in the ice water? I mean, like, like where's the line there? So that for like two weeks of doing it was like, how do we scoot back a little bit from this? And now there were some exceptions like on feast days, on solemnities, on Sundays, kind of like with Lent, you could get one or two of the things back. So like we got to watch the Super Bowl, praise God. Although, of course, that was one of the years it's like, I don't care who's playing. It's not my team. But the purpose of it was to see how much time, A, we wasted, and B, intentionally waste time with God. I can't tell you how much sleep I got during that time. How many times are we up binge-watching things at 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, just one more episode, 1 o'clock in the morning. Man, man they had a, such a cliffhanger. I can't wait till the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning hits and, oh no, my alarm goes off in four hours. Been there, done that, guilty. In the last week and a half, guilty. And I say that not to say, hey, look at me, I'm a sinner. But I say it to say, this is something that I need. Am I looking forward to it? No. Not even a little bit. But just like purgatory, sometimes we need those purgative experiences to help refocus our lives on what is truly, authentically important. How do I, not just as a person, but as pastor, make sacrifices of what I want for my bride? As husbands, you're called to do for your wives, and wives, you're called to do for your husbands— how do I, as pastor, make sacrifices for my bride that is the church? It's hard sometimes. Sometimes I just don't have the energy. COVID has kicked my butt this last two weeks. But I know that if I put forth a little extra energy, if I make sure to pray, if I make sure to spend that time with God, he'll give me just enough that I need. But I guarantee you when we're done here, I'm going home and crashing <laughs> at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Hopefully not that late, but because it's so easy for us to be like, oh, I'm so tired, and then we spend four hours doing nothing. That's why we're tired, because we're wasting our time. Remember last week when we were talking about faith, how do you grow in faith? You, are, you intentionally embrace it. So what is one small thing this week that you can do to intentionally embrace your faith. If it's been since Easter, since you've been to confession, go to confession this week. We have it scheduled Fridays from 11 to noon, Saturdays from 3.30 to 4.30, and any other time you need or want to go. I'm an email, text message, phone call away. I'll come to you, you come to me, doesn't matter. I'm here for you. Maybe that's what you need to do. If it's been over a year since you've been to confession, definitely go because the church asks that we go at least once a year. Why? 
Because I guarantee you probably sinned at least once this year. You've missed Mass. Maybe adding an extra daily Mass in throughout the week if you're able to. Here, Clinton, Mangum, Woodward, Weatherford. Because those are the five closest parishes to here. Maybe it's you just need to spend extra time with God. If you ever want to come to church and it's locked, let me know. I'm trying to figure out a way that we can keep this door safely accessible. Because that's one of the things we have, to, we have to worry about in the 21st century. We can't have doors unlocked. We've had churches ransacked. We've had churches burned down. We've had churches vandalized. That's an unfortunate reality we have in the 21st century. But you are never not welcome here. If you need to pray and you need a place and you can't find a place at home, let me know. Come to the office during office hours. Come to the house. Ring the doorbell. Give me a second because I probably have to get dressed at that point. But I'll ring the doorbell. I'll come to the door. I'll come let you in the church. Whatever you need to grow, allow the Lord to give you. But also, know that he's calling you to do something extra too. What is it that you can give this week that only you can give? Maybe it's fasting from a Starbucks drink. Now that we have Starbucks, I can use that example. Maybe it's fasting from a Sonic drink. Instead of getting the Route 44, you only get a large. And whatever you save from that in a month, you give to the church or you give to a local charity. That's right. I told you to give money besides the church. (laughs) Shh. (laughs) Because there are plenty of different people that we are each called to share our faith with, even if they don't know about it. How can we do that this week? That's the question that I leave you with tonight. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we give praise and thanksgiving to you for all of the gifts that you've given to us in our life, all of the experience that you have blessed us with, the good and the bad, the good to show us your love and the bad to help us seek your love to grow. We pray that you may be with us this night, that you may watch over us, help us to return safely to our homes and return safely back here this weekend for Mass and back next week for class. We pray that you watch over all of our catechists, all of our students, young and old alike. For all of those live streaming or watching this later, we pray for you that the Lord may continue to grow in your love and continue to grow in your heart as well. We ask all these things through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thanks, guys.